All of time is taking place simultaneously according to the Block Universe model of existence. I'm Marsha Jeffries with the top movie headlines. Pre-production on the upcoming Rubik's Cube movie has been put on hold with the future of the film now in limbo. Producers put the brakes on the project after discovering that the film's writer had not in fact been producing new drafts of the screenplay, but had instead been breaking off bits of the old script and attaching them back together in a different order. Robert Pattinson has become the latest actor to dabble in de-aging technology. The Hollywood heartthrob will star in the Nicholas Sparks' weepy Fall from Grace about the romance between a handsome maths teacher and a terminally ill vice principal that unfolds over the course of an autumn season. Visual effects wizards are hard at work on a method to de-age Pattinson by three months for the earliest scenes. The project has been in development for 15 years but has now been fast-tracked due to advances in CGI technology that until recently could only de-age subjects by up to four months. Two actresses are currently being sought for the role of Pattinson's love interest. Meanwhile, Christian Bale is attached to a remake of the Orson Welles film noir classic Touch of Evil. Bale has packed on more than 150 kilograms to emulate Welles, which has surprised both Bale's doctors and the studio, given Bale is directing the film and won't actually appear on screen. Audio has already emerged of Bale verbally abusing the director, which, again, is him. In financial news, the Donny Yen has taken a tumble and is expected to pound Sterling Hayden. Goldie Horn and Ron Silver futures remain uncertain, with the fans of mid-brow musician biopics continuing to invest in Johnny Cash. Fixed-rate home loans have caused a run on Elizabeth Banks, which is expected to wreak havoc with the stock footage market. Now let's check in with Werner Herzog in The Chopper. When we wake from our dreams and enter reality, can we be sure that we have not entered another's dream? Can you be sure that you are not now in my dream? Thanks, Werner. Today's weather is a conjunction used to express doubt or inquiry. Now it's Bazira time. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Bazura Project's Radio Free Cinema, now simulcast on the left speaker where available. Shannon Marinko and Lee Zachariah with you on the Midnight to Dawn run as we ring in this brand new Wednesday. Lee, you're looking very well. You have quite the glow about you. Yes, that's thanks to the upcoming film Makeover Palace, in which Anne Hathaway plays a cosmetics expert who helps a heroin addict, played by Anna Faris, get her life back together and become a model with the assistance of a magical new moisturiser. And to help promote the film, Goldenrod Distribution has sent us several cases of heroin, which I've really been enjoying. Uh, so a big thanks to them. <laughs> Lovely. So what do we have coming up on the show? Well, it's a full-on program tonight. I'm going to be talking to legendary film critic David Stratton about his career and how he was able to survive in the cutthroat world of film reviewing. Here's a tease. Your first day in a screening is the most terrifying. Everyone in the foyer is sizing you up. But you've got to show you're strong, that you're not going to be pushed around. So on day one, you go up to the biggest person in the cinema and disagree with them. You may get torn to shreds, but nobody will ever mess with you again. Can't wait to hear the rest of that. Actually, that was the whole thing. And it'll be coming up right after our deep dive into Italian neorealism. Was Bertolucci's remake of The Matrix too verite? Then later, we'll be talking late-onset hyperplasia. Why was the cast of the upcoming sci-fi film Hyperplasia constantly late to set, keeping the crew waiting for hours on end? 
absolutely shocking manners there. Then there's all our regular segments, Film of Dreams, The Filmadelphia Story, Film and Filming in Las Vegas, and of course, Doctor Strange Film, or How I Film to Film Filming and Film the Film. So it should be an epic show you'll one day recount to your grandkids over firelight in whatever post-apocalyptic wilderness that the ravages of global warming leaves us to eke out a survival upon. How's your week been? I've been very busy this week, actually, very busy taking lots of meetings with cinema chains. I think I've come up with a very interesting idea, very profitable idea, you know, the the next big thing, the newest evolution in movie exhibition. Do tell. So you've got your movie marathons, right? Well, how about a movie sprint? You watch a whole movie at 1,200 times the regular speed. I saw all of Berlin Alexanderplatz in 45 seconds. How was it? Still too long. There's also the movie Decathlon. You watch 10 different movies all at the same time, superimposed on top of each other. Sounds tough. Movies aren't just some passive form of entertainment. You've got to work to get the results. That Decathlon, you've got to have real athletic endurance to get through it. We'll be checking people's BMI at the door. Yeah, that's fair. And finally, there's the movie Relay, where four people each see a quarter of a film, and the trick is... They have to enjoy it. <laughs> or, or how about a movie Formula One, where giant corporations throw hundreds of millions of dollars at the feet of privileged white men to create something special in an hour and a half, when for most of them, it'll all be over within the first two minutes. Don't be stupid. What about you? How was your weekend? Well, funny you should ask. I headed out with the crew for a night at the cinema. Uh, the lads were keen for something fun, and I don't like to disappoint the boys. I know how the chaps like a night out. So I figured I'd pick an action film from the 80s or 90s, go a bit old school. Uh, so I took them to a rep theatre near my joint, multiple screens, all playing the modern classics. And I thought, why don't we see 1997 Steel on the big screen the way it was intended? The Shaquille O'Neal cyborg film. That's the one. Ah, right. What a classic. No, not classic. What's the word I'm searching for? Movie. Absolutely. A stone-cold movie. And I know it's the perfect film for the gents because it's only about 90 minutes long and Gaza has that bladder thing. Yes, good planning. So I pick up the tickets and we head in and wouldn't you know it, it's the wrong film. Uh-oh, not again. Turns out I didn't actually buy tickets to Steel at all. Uh, the credits start, and I discover I've just taken the posse to see Steel Magnolias. Oh, that's no good. What do the troop think about that? Look, Jerry slept through the whole thing. Nath expressed his disappointment by disrupting the screening and ruining it for the other patrons, which is fair enough. And Gaza? Pissed himself. But look, as big a disaster as the night was, it was actually my first time seeing Steel Magnolias. And i got to tell you, what a film. Yeah, it's not bad, is it? Not bad. Mate, I just couldn't contain myself. I I reckon I went through a whole box of tissues. Oh, I hear you. It was just so sexy. Wait, what? Sexy. Like erotic. Stimulating. That film just really did it for me. Olympia Dukakis. Right, but, you know, it's a tearjerker. Absolutely. A real jerker. You're listening to the Bazura Project's Radio Free Cinema. Well, some people treat cinema like a religion, but our next guest has taken that concept very literally. Father Chuck O'Malley claims to be part of a church that is actually based on the movies. Father, how does such a church function? Well, it's actually quite straightforward. Churches are merely structures, both literal and figurative, for the things that we put our faith in. The magic of cinema is something supernatural, not explainable by science or logic. Sure. Except, I mean... It is, though. But is the magic of cinema explained by science? No. 
Our new myths are forged in cinema. We quote movie lines the way our forebears quoted Bible verses. The pious heroes of westerns, of action films, of superhero movies. These are the virtuous champions who provide us with the moral code that we used to get from... What's it called? The Bible? Yes, that's the one. To the outside observer or inside interviewer, this could look a lot like a way to trick people into attending services more often. Instead of sitting through a sermon, they get to go to the movies. But it sounds like you really buy this stuff. I wouldn't be here if I didn't. I believe that cinema is the most holy of art forms designed for the modern world in the way that the old religions were designed for our ancestors. But it's not just about belief. There are undeniable clues peppered throughout cinema if you know where to look. For all the claims of Hollywood being a godless, unholy place, it constantly provides examples of its piety to those who study it. Give us an example. Well, the word Baal was an ancient term used in the Levant, meaning Lord. It's a title used in all Abrahamic religions, appearing in Hebrew scripture, in the Quran, in the New Testament. So what is Christian Baal but a Lord of Christ? Yeah. Okay, yes, all right, that's one. Oh, I'm just getting started. When Moses descended from Mount Sinai, he did so carrying the Ten Commandments, holy laws created for the Jewish people, a.k.a. Jude Law. Um, sure. Benedict Cumberbatch, a collective noun for Catholic ejaculate. Need I go on? No, 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 no. Thank you. We're fine. I don't understand. You're telling us that these names aren't merely coincidences of language and tradition, but deliberate signposts placed by some sort of deity to show us that cinema is the way. I can understand your scepticism, but let's look at the concept of comparative mythology. In polytheistic cultures, strikingly similar gods will often appear, displaying identical traits within distinct societies. A god of thunder could be known as Zeus in Greek mythology, Jupiter in Roman mythology, and Thor in Norse mythology and Disney IP contracts. Some scholars see these figures as proof that Titans once roamed the ancient world, earning different names in each culture. It's the same in filmmaking. What, you're saying filmmaking gods have appeared in different cultures. Yes. Yes, in studying the texts, I believe there are many filmmakers who have walked the earth making groundbreaking films. There's one in particular whose path I've been following closely. In Japan, they call him Akira Kurosawa. In Finland, he's Aki Karizmaki. The Iranians know him as Abbas Karistami. To the Serbians, he's Emir Kustarika. So you're saying they're all the same person? The same mythic being, Yes. Much in the same way as the actors Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, Mary Stuart Masterson and Mary Louise Parker are all in fact one. What about Mary Tyler Moore? Don't be daft. Okay, well you've certainly got enough research under your belt to form complete sentences, but assuming that you're right, assuming that cinema is the vessel through which a deity wants us to be worshipful, how do we do that? Go to the movies more often? Keep investing in physical media? Actually see Australian films instead of just telling people we do? Simply by observing the sacred holidays. The most hallowed time in the devout cinephile's calendar is the day of Hanukkah, also known as the Festival of the Key Lights. According to legend, director Michael Hanukkah once found that he only had enough footage for one day's filming, but miraculously managed to shoot for eight days and nights non-stop. This put tremendous pressure on his cast and crew, many of whom revolted and gathered at the Holy Temple, a.k.a. the set of the new Julian Temple film that happened to be filming on the adjacent soundstage. Now, Julian's film starred his daughter, actress Juno Temple, who was named after the phrase shouted at the Maccabeans by Romans in 63 BC. No. Fine, let's not get bogged down in all the detail. Ultimately, all of this comes down to one simple question. 
do you believe in Goddard? Oh, um, you know, I suppose so. Uh, I mean, I feel like I see evidence of him everywhere in old issues of Cahiers de Cinema. I believe in his early work. His, his latter stuff is a bit shit. Yes, I've divided his work into two periods or testaments. You strike me as the type who prefer his older testament. What? So have you just started this religion, or have you been around for a while? Oh, we've been here for ages. You may not remember, but back in the 90s, Martin Lawrence caused quite a stir when he nailed his faeces to the door of our church. His PR people said he was merely suffering from dehydration and exhaustion, but I'm convinced he was attempting some sort of reformation. We do know that he was unhappy with Elon Musk being on our board as he disagreed with the concept of PayPal authority. Father Chuck O'Malley, thank you for joining us. On behalf of the Father, the Son and the Hollywood, I thank you. I forgot to ask, what's the name of your church? Oh, it's the Church of Scientology. Probably should have mentioned that up top. The Missoura Project's Radio Free Cinema. We're back out on the street again asking you the important movie questions. Nickelodeon has been criticised for editing out the Do I Feel Lucky line from a Dirty Harry repeat. What cool thing would you say before shooting someone in the face? There's there's so many options to choose from. Uh, I prefer the original. I've always liked Greg Kinnear. Just so long as there's plenty of full frontal nudity. I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? You're listening to Radio Free Cinema. Well, we're just a few days away from the release of the new Australian film Skin and Blister from director Dana Marshall. She's quickly become one of our hottest exports with films like Day of the Quokka and The Eunuch's Haircut. The international premiere of her latest feature was held earlier this week at the Sundance Film Festival. Uh, We couldn't make it after coming down with a slight case of not being invited, but luckily our entertainment reporter Mary Spleen was there, and she brought us what a series of increasingly frantic text messages assures us are all the highlights. Let's have a listen. Hi guys, Mary Spleen here at Sundance for the exciting premiere of Skin and Blister. I'm here on the red carpet and it's surprisingly empty. The crowds have begun to disperse and the paparazzi are packing up their equipment, which can only mean one thing. We're early, so while we wait for things to kick off, I thought I might chat to my red carpet colleague, film reporter, Alicia Malone. Hi, Alicia. Oh, hi. How are you finding tonight's event? Oh, it's okay. You know, it's it's a bit cold, but that's Utah in January. <laughs> and I imagine you'd be excited to speak to stars Kate Blanchett and Nicole Kidman when they make their way down the carpet. Oh, I was. I mean, I got to chat with them about how the script spoke to them at a really deep level. And... Oh, you've spoken to them. Yeah, they just passed by about five minutes ago. Uh, yeah, right. And, and you recorded them saying that? Well, yeah. C- can I have a listen? Sure, I I guess. There's a lot of buzz around this film. What first brought the script to your attention? Wait, are are you recording this? Just hold it closer to the mic. Oh, sorry, I I have to go. Okay, bye, Alicia. As as you can tell, it's, it's a great vibe on the red carpet. So many of the industry's best entertainment reporters, all of whom definitely remember to adjust their watches to Mountain Time when they, they flew in from L.A. Mary, can you see anyone actually coming down the carpet? As we established, I've recorded this about two days before you're playing it, so remember that I won't be able to hear any requests or directions. Oh, yeah, sorry. No worries at all. Hang hang on. There does seem to be someone coming down the carpet. Now, hi! What's your involvement in the film? Uh, I'm here to move everyone off the red carpet so we can clear the sidewalk. And how do you feel about the buzz surrounding the film? 
I wouldn't know about that, ma'am. I'm just here to remove obstructions and get foot traffic moving again. Yeah, and are you excited at Kate and Nicole finally sharing the screen together playing sisters? Not really my place to say. I just work crowd control. Although Variety said the original draft was set in London and supposed to star Emily Blunt and Rachel Wise, and as an incurable Anglophile, that would have been my ideal iteration. Could you clear the area, please? Well, that's all the excitement from the red carpet. The screening is about to kick off, so from the Sundance Film Festival, this is Mary Spleen. that it? I don't think so. There's still a few minutes left on the tape. Last time it was just seven minutes of her crying in a hotel room. We shouldn't broadcast that. Again. She assured me she got some good interviews. Oh, wait, wait, here we go. Well, the film has finished and it sounded great. I can promise you, had anyone been unable to get inside the theatre and been forced to spend the last 90 minutes standing out in the foyer, well, they would have heard a lot of laughter and applause coming through the doors. And I'm now at the after party where the champagne is flowing, the music is pumping and the security is super vigilant about who enters the VIP area. Let's see if I... Oh, Nicole! Nicole! Oi! Kate! Over here! Hello! Well, Well, it's quite loud in here. I don't think they quite heard me. Could you please move along, ma'am? I'm actually supposed to be over there. Can I see your wristband? My dog ran off with it. It's, it's, it's a chihuahua. I think it's under the seat right between whoever those, those two famous women are. Can I please get some backup at Sector 12? Okay, okay, I'm going. There's no problem. Definitely no problem because if I'm not mistaken, I'm now standing next to Dr. Isaiah Keku, Professor of Esoteria at the University of Delphi. Professor, you've written extensively about the interpersonal relationships of the characters in the modern melodrama and how they mirror the individual's contract with society. Did you find tonight's film continued that theme? Well, that is an interesting question, and if I'm being completely frank with you, I'd have to say I actually don't know. I was at a skin flick at the porno theatre a few blocks away. I just snuck in here for the free Mai Tais. I'd be happy to discuss those with you. Thank you, Professor. Well, here's Kumquat Birthstone, the star of the new reality series Celebrity Wardrobe. Kumquat, you look positively adjective tonight. Who are you wearing? Just to pick at Dr. Kiku's thesis, it's not so much that it mirrors a contract with society, but that it identifies something deeper, something more primal, our conflict with the repressive societal norms that inhibit us from expressing our true desires. And I'm wearing Kevin Klein. Ooh, Kevin Klein. Very chic. No, Kevin Klein. The actor. He's literally draped around me. It's part of the reality show. Oh, hi, Kevin! He's not allowed to talk. Oh, over here is one of social media's biggest influencers, Mimi Rank, who of course is best known for attending the world's biggest film premieres and live streaming her facial reactions throughout the film. Mimi, Mimi, hi. What are you drinking? A strawberry daiquiri, but could you get them to substitute the white rum with white tequila, use lemon instead of lime, and swap the strawberries with raspberries and ice flakes instead of crushed? Thank you. Oh, sure. This could be a great new segment, (laughs) getting drinks for celebs. It's a good hook, bit of a spin on the... 
excuse me, on the <clears throat> excuse me, uh, um, standard interview. They, they give me their drink orders and I go off and, um, oh, oh, I think, oh, I, I think I've spotted another celeb. Yes, hello, uh, Mary Spleen for the Pazura Project. Can I speak to you? Great. Well, I'm standing here with Iranian Ayatollah Sayyid Ali Hosseini Khamenei, Supreme Leader of Iran, who's looking absolutely fab tonight. Now, not many people know this, but you've been very influential in the film industry. Yes, I have imprisoned many directors. Over interrogation, one gave me his ticket to this premiere, so I thought, hey, why not? Plus, I am a big Dana Marshall fan. That first movie she made, I think it was called The Babysitter Church Picnic Society, was all like, whoa, did she literally film my life, you know? Oh, I think I've just spotted her, so let me see if I can just follow... Excuse me, uh, Dana? Hi. Hi, congrats on the film. Oh, thank you. So, Dana. Oh, God. You've just had your film premiere at Sundance. I've got to ask, how does it feel to be here? Well, right now it feels a little crowded. <laughs> well, I mean, you wouldn't be the first filmmaker who said that to me. Uh, sorry, this stall is a little confined. Do you mind? No, I don't mind at all. I once interviewed Jane Campion inside a dumbwaiter at Kensington Palace. So, Dana, your work in film and television is very honest, very personal. Do you ever feel a little exposed, like you're laying yourself bare for strangers? That's definitely a familiar feeling that I have right now. I can imagine it leads to some very awkward situations with fans who don't quite know where to draw the line. Yeah, I just need five minutes. That's quite profound. You just need five minutes. The world of filmmaking is unrelenting, isn't it? It must make you wonder how long you can keep this up. I mean, what is next for Dana? I was hoping that I could wash my hands. Well, that's understandable. A lot of directors seem quite keen to wash their hands of the business. Too much interference, too much pressure, but it would be a shame to lose your voice. What I like is that your comedy is sophisticated yet honest. There's no lazy slapstick, no cheap, easy laughs. Well, thank you. I do appreciate that. Well, for the Bazura Project, I'm Mary Spleen. up on the show. Controversy in San Diego as Aircon, the annual Con Air convention, suffers from poor air conditioning. We speak to the Crow star, Bai Ling, about being the first actor to ever speak two languages on screen, thus coining the term bilingual. And the real reason Hollywood won't cast Mae West anymore. You're listening to Radio Free Cinema. Well, producing films in Australia is not easy, and listening to producers talk about producing film is not interesting. We're now joined by producer Tony U. Grizzable. Yes, you are. Hi, guys. Tony, it's been a rough few years for you. You've been extremely vocal in the press about how you had to sell your house just to buy a car, which you then had to sell to finance your last film. Look, mate, it has not been easy. Distribution and exhibition are getting tougher. You know, you spend years of your life on a project and it plays for bloody one week at the Prince Caspian Cinema in Melbourne. You guys know the, the Prince Caspian, the small indie joint in the Lumiere Rouge area? Lumiere Rouge area? Wait, are you just trying to say red light district in French to sound fancy? Oh, the cinema near Castle of Butts. I know the one you mean. It's a depressing state of affairs. On a good day, if they're lucky, the Caspian will get a dozen people in a session. A dozen. What type of film is made for a dozen people? 
12 Angry Men. 12 Monkeys. 12 Years a Slave. Cheaper by the Dozen. I have to be honest with you fellas, it's been failure after failure. I took an absolute bath on John Hewson, the man who probably wouldn't be Prime Minister. Audiences were just not interested. Frankly, if you can't make money off a Houston biopic, you don't deserve to be in the biopic-making business. But the bad streak might be coming to an end. We've heard around the traps that you're in the midst of a massive comeback that one colleague described as a money spinner so short a win, everyone at the ATO has already put down payments on 600-foot speedboats. We're afraid of success in this country, and we shouldn't be. If you want to make money, you've got to study what works. So we looked at Hollywood. Hmm, novel. Can't believe nobody's tried that before. The big thing in Hollywood at the moment is shared universes, yeah? Okay, so what you, you take a bunch of characters from different massive films and you just plop them all in one super massive film. Mm, not sure that counts as a trend. Oh, look at the Avengers. That's one. Justice League. Everyone hated it. Dark Universe. Dead after one film. Transformers. Fuck you. Fair enough. So we looked at all those and decided that was exactly what we needed to try and do here. But instead of waiting the standard 20 years before taking something popular in America and attempting to replicate it in Australia, we decided to do it now, only five years too late. That's 15 years ahead of schedule. It's not bad, huh? But hang on, how would that even work? What Australian films could even qualify for this type of franchise? No, that's the thing. Almost all of them. Thanks to nearly every Aussie film having Screen Australia funding at some stage of its production and a subclause granting all intellectual property rights and merchandise to Screen Oz in exchange for its contribution, we have access to practically every homegrown film in recent memory. So we simply looked at the biggest financial and critical hits of the past few years. But aren't all Australian films just grimy dramas about drug addicts? Oh, and that's the exact type of ignorance we've been trying to fight at Coked Up Productions. Aussie films are about so much more than people selling drugs or people using drugs. Many of them are about people getting off drugs, for one. Okay, I'm game. I want to know how this will work. Assemble your cast for us. Which characters would be starring in this mega blockbuster? Well, you remember Stan Leglake's Lolly from a few years back? It won seven actor awards plus a Logie for best actor win. We've grabbed the character Don from that. Don, uh, remind me? Don was the pale, thin boy who went around in the dirty T-shirt. Played by Field Bookman. One Best Supporting Actor. Um, no. He was the drug addict. Ah, yes. I know who you mean. Yeah. So, yeah. We started with him. Then, uh, you know the film Foot Off? The adaptation of the novel Empty by Jesus Solace. The one with all the drug addicts and the underage prostitutes. We convinced Alexa Incriatus to reprise her role of Zuri. Which one was she? The underage prostitute. And drug addict. Ah, yep, I remember her. So that's two, and we're already cooking with fire, but we did not stop there. You remember Dingo Stream, the serial killer film? Oh, yes, love that. Everyone did. Huge worldwide hit. Reminded everyone that Aussie cinema is at its best when we're making genre films. Big return of Jack Jorrett as the terrifying serial killer Scott Milliner. Guess who we've got from that? The drug addict he tried to kill? No, man. You've got to think wider. We got Jack Jorrett himself. Milliner, the killiner, the guy who hunted and then killed all the drug addicts, which was ironic, given he also was one. Great. But we want to mix it up, get someone from a real genre film in there, a proper sci-fi adventure, so we nabbed the lead from the unlimited bloke. You remember him? The nerdy physicist who, who, who goes back in time to meet his younger self in order to help him get rich and also addicted to drugs? Oh, yeah. Fair play. That's a solid group you've pulled together there. So... Once we got them all, the question facing us was this. How do you take a coke fiend, 
a heroin junkie and two tweakers and turn them into a unified team working towards a common goal. Come on, you guys are creative. Hey, I mean, what happens next? Uh, they come together to save their community? No. They fight drug dealers? No. They fight aliens? Nope. They fight alien drug dealers? This is exactly what I went through. All these thoughts. What type of scenario would get people excited? What plot would draw them in? We tried everything. We ran workshops, did focus groups, projected all the numbers, but we couldn't find a plot or scenario in which this film would break even, let alone become a hit. And then one day it hit me. The answer had been staring me in the face the whole time. What was it? Drugs. They all produce drugs. How would that work? Yeah, films about drug dealers aren't exactly a box office draw. You're just making the same mistakes as all those other Aussie films. No, 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 you're not hearing me. We don't make films about producing drugs. We produce drugs. What? I quit the film business, and now I produce and distribute methamphetamines. Fellas, we are making so much money. Demand has never been higher. Audience satisfaction is through the roof. I've never seen anything like it, at least certainly not in the world of film. Uh, okay. Well, that was Tony U. Grizzable, former movie producer, current drug dealer. Uh, if listeners want to pick up those drugs, where should they go? Uh, still at the Caspian, actually. Uh, there's an alleyway just round the back, and you can find me there most of the time. The Bazira Project's Radio Free Cinema. Are you a sophisticated single cinephile who wants to meet that special someone? Specifically, a movie actor? Specifically, beloved film icon Tilda Swinton? Then you need the hottest new dating app, Tilda! Tilda uses sophisticated multiverse location tracking to match you with the hottest Tildas in your parallel area. Choose from American Indie Tilda. I know it's bad form to discuss other men on a first date, but we need to talk about Kevin. Dramatic English Tilda. My husband left me for our daughter, but you know, we laugh about it now. Hollywood Blockbuster Tilda. I know everyone lies about their age on these things, but I really am the ancient one. Mysterious Art House Tilda. It's so difficult to meet single rock star vampires these days. Whimsical Art House Tilda. If this goes well, I've got a room at the Grand Budapest. Whimsical Art House Tilda. Just so you know, I have an identical twin sister. She's a complete cow. Whimsical Art House Tilda. You simply must try the genetically modified Super Pig. This one's marinated in the tears of a young South Korean girl. Tilda Swinton's in your adjacent dimension are standing by. So if you're lonely and looking for that special Swinton, swipe right. Because only lovers swipe left alive. I changed sexes and lived for more than three centuries on the orders of Queen Elizabeth I. But enough about me. Tell me about your podcast. And coming soon, Grinter. Hi, I'm Rupert Grint. Wait, where are you going? You're listening to Radio Free Cinema. Well, it's the announcement you've been waiting for. The results of our best Bond theme survey are in. Yes, you at home voted for your favourite James Bond songs and the people in the office who know how to use a calculator listened. So, counting down, coming in at number three was, (laughs) no surprises here, love this one, Rex Harrison's unforgettable theme for 1966's The Property of a Lady. Though a secret agent through and through, his agency is shady. 
whether playing at cards or shooting cads, he remains the property of a lady. Ah, oh, such an earworm. I'm going to be humming that one for days. But coming in at number two is, of course, Joe Dolce's distinctive opening for 1982's Rosico. Why you kill that man? Hey, why you say that quip? Kissing all the girls and shaking up your drinks. There's no bad guys here, there's no doctor, no, it's just Risico. Oh, it's impossible to believe that's not number one, but also extremely possible when you consider which song you voted as the greatest Bond theme of all time. Have a listen. What is this? The color of fear, the sound of the feeling, the side is unclear. He walks through the silence, but when was he here? The world is his license, a science, the last frontier. The songs always sound like a cheap bag of play. It might have been stirring way back in the day. And what do these weird titles mean anyway? But today we just pray For the will, for the ship, the pigment of peel For the will, for the ship, the pigment of peel Vivid lyrics, they try and They've nothing to do with the movie you see. Supposed to be action, you'll get an abstraction, a fraction distraction, no guarantee. We're trying to give some emotional weight to a tired old franchise, but it's far too late. Well, how could we be the same? But you'll hate This song could be great But it's real I'll fulfill The pigment of heal For the thrill For the shit The pigment of You quickly forget Despite seeing boobies in a silhouette We all know he'll win So there's no real threat Blonde or brunette Then he will This is where The pigment of Kiel The pigment of Kiel The pigment of Kiel Bazura Project's Radio Free Cinema. Now, I don't mean to be controversial. I'm not intentionally stirring the pot with my hot, hot takes. But I have to come out and say it. 
Kids' movies just aren't what they used to be. You're right. They're so much better now. When you and I were young, the only films available to us featured one of three things. Kid Befriends Alien. Androgynous Muppet goes on jewellery-based quest. And David Bowie's crotch repeatedly appears in centre frame. Although, most people might not consider The Man Who Fell to Worth a kid's film. What we would have given for frenetic, fast-paced CG animation with attitude instead of jokes, ephemeral pop culture references aimed at our parents, and lashings of synergised intellectual property. And that's why recently I've had no problem taking children to the movies, many of them willingly. I know that you're the same. Like me, you're more than happy to sit through the Lego movie. Or the Lego Batman movie. Or the Lego Ninjago movie. Each and every one of them a modern classic, superior to its predecessor. I hope they never stop making them. Well then, I've got some good news for both you and the publicist who wrote this copy. Because we are about to present, for the first time anywhere, the massive full-length trailer for the next film in the Lego franchise, made right here in Australia. A film that's destined to be the big hit of the school holidays and the back-to-school truancy period. Have a listen. Caligula was just an ordinary Roman prince. Oh, what's up, my ancient Romans? Are you calling me old? Ooh, awkward. When he was called to greatness. Hey, great uncle, what are you doing? Dying of syphilis. Cool, cool. Hey, is that an orgy? The Emperor is dead. I pronounce you Caligula, Emperor of Rome. Sweet. When you wear this ring, you command everything in Rome. Wow. When you said you were going to give me a ring, I was like, dude, phones won't be invented for 2,000 years. Huh? Cal, what are you doing? I just want life to be one big party. And now I'm Emperor, I can totally make that happen. Cal, my friend, you're going to be able to get any date you want. Chicks dig rulers of the universe. Whoa! Check out that hot priestess. Hey, handsome. Want to sacrifice something on my altar? So aside from me, who do you worship? A little goddess known as Isis. Wow! That's going to age great! Caligula, the senator's wives are bored. Then we'll throw them the biggest party Rome's ever seen. Oh, I love parties. Cal, being a leader isn't just about partying all the time. Rome will fall unless you step up. We need someone with imagination. Someone who thinks outside the box. That shouldn't be hard. I came in a box. That's what my wife keeps telling me. <laughs> Maybe I'm just not cut out for this. Why am I telling you? You're just a dumb horse. Hey, who are you calling dumb? Whoa, you can talk? That's not all. I also make a pretty mean fondue. But sometimes even an emperor... My ring! It's missing! ...needs help from his friends. We'll get that ring back together. You'll need to go undercover. That means a disguise. Who do I know that's good at disguises? Ah, it's a blackbird! That's a terrible omen. Who are you calling a bird? Batman? Four. I've never left the palace before. It's kind of dirty out here. Oi, who are you? Uh... No one. Just an ordinary Roman. I'm definitely not emperor or anything. Right. Off to jail. Oh, the service in this jail is terrible. Hey, concierge! Can I get some freshly squeezed OJ? No pulp, please. You won't last five minutes in here, pretty boy. Okay. Who likes magic tricks? (laughs) Nailed it! This summer, it's time to shake things up. Put the block back in Blockbuster. Caligula, you can't make your horse a priest. He's right. For one thing, I'm Jewish. Tommy Little is Caligula. Hey, cool. A human pyramid. Oh, mind if I join? <laughs> Cal Wilson is Drusilla. You are such a terrible boyfriend. 
but you're a pretty great brother. Reese Muldoon is macro. I love going to the beach and burying myself in the sand. Look, I'm just ahead. <laughs> hey, everyone. Check out my new lawnmower. It's ten stories high. Cal, what are you doing up there? Get out of the way! Celia Pacuola is Seasonia. Caligula, the most important thing is believing in yourself. With Sean McAuliffe as Tiberius. Beware, Caligula. Some that smile have in their hearts naught but duplicity. What's duplicity? I think it's the Latin word for duplo. I knew I should have poisoned you. And Tony Martin as Incitatus the Horse. He made his horse a senator, and the worst part is he always votes the same way. Motion to stop Caligula using the aqueducts to transport Pepsi Max to his summer palace? Incitatus the Horse votes nay. Uh. The Lego Caligula Movie. Come on, Caligula. Rome wasn't built in a day. Check it out. I just built Rome. Is that a Starbucks? Uh, do we not have those? You're listening to Radio Free Cinema. And that was Handel's Messiah in its entirety because we didn't plan properly and accidentally left a two and a half hour gap in the middle of the show. And in response to those texting in, this was the 18th century opera, not the theme to the 1995 Nigel Wingrove film in which a bunch of women fondle Jesus. Yes, an unfortunate homonym there, but also a terrible film. So there you go. But never mind that, because now it's time for Movie Mailbag. Jack Nicholson, Jessica Lange, in the motion picture that Playboy magazine calls hotter than any uncurbed passion since last tango in Paris. The postman always rings twice. All right, come on. Come on. Come on. So let's check in with our producer, Faith. Faith, what has the mailbag brought us today? Listener Alfred Kralik writes in to say, You guys talk about film all the time, but you never talk about your favourite films. What are your top 500,000 films of all time, in chronological order? Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Half a million. I mean, have, have you made a list that goes that high? Well, yeah, of course. You? Yeah. Cool. How do you want to do this? How about I do one and then you do the next? Yep, cool. Okay, well, if we're going to go chronologically, number one for me is 1888's Round Hay Garden Scene. Oh, it's such an evocative work. I've always found Louis Le Prince to be such an underrated filmmaker. What's yours? You're not going to believe this, but same. Really? Yeah. I mean, it could use a little tightening up. Sure. You know, it's two and a half seconds, but, you know, yeah, you feel it. Yeah, there's a definite lag in the middle that pulls things down a bit. But, look, that's a minor quibble. I, I think it starts strong, it's got a solid ending, and that's enough to make it a favourite. What's number two for you? Look, i got to give it up for Workers Leaving the Lumiere Factory. Not just one of the best films ever made, but probably the best film of 1895. How about you? <laughs> it's that. It's the same. No way. <laughs> that's so weird. I know. We're never this in sync. This is amazing. Okay, number three for me is The Great Train Robbery, the 1903 Western classic of cinema. 
Hmm. Well, I don't know. I just, I just felt it was a bit derivative. Derivative? Yeah. I just got the feeling like I'd seen it all before. This film was made in 1903. It practically invented the Western. It was literally contemporaneous to the Old West. Oh, I don't know. Felt a bit samey. You're insane. I'm allowed to have an opinion. Not if it's factually incorrect. You can't disprove how I feel. God, this is Valentine's Day all over again. Okay, okay, look, let's just move on. Okay, what's your number three? Oh, the same. You know, great train robbery, maybe a tad imitative, but yeah, it's still great. <sighs> how many of these do we got to go? Rounding up, about 500,000. Oh well, we're in it now. Okay, number four. Radio Free Cinema. And that's it for this week. But before we go, did any of you guess the obscure movie quote from earlier in the show? Here it is again. If I'm guilty of anything, it's of caring too much. That is, of course, Hermann Goering from Confessions of a Convicted War Criminal. Well, don't forget to join us next time when we look at Hayley Atwell, thanks to an installation of undetectable Russian webcams. So, in the words of Matthew Reese in the Oscar-nominated biopic The Abridged Dylan Thomas, do not go gentle into that. Good night. <laughs>